Welcome to the second episode of Women in the African Diaspora. Today we're going to continue the story of Paola de Aguilus and her struggles before the Holy Office of the Spanish Inquisition in Colombia in the 1630s. This is actually a really relevant topic given the release of the new show Siempre Bruja, which comes out in February of 2019. So I would really invite you to listen to the real story of witches and sorceresses in Colombia, which is what we're doing in this podcast. So we're going to get back to the story of Paula and her action, her interactions with Doña Ana, who had just, as we left off in the last podcast, had just reported her many um, spells, potions, uh, incantations, etc., that she had purchased from Paula, and how all of these had failed and getting her back together with her husband. So Paula had a lot of different perspectives on her relationship with Doniana. She portrayed Doniana as somebody who wanted to be involved in witchcraft, not a victim of fraud, which was what Doniana was trying to say. <clears throat> Paula placed herself within a broader community of magic practitioners. Her tactics marketed her reputation as an effective curandera, or healer, and attempted to decrease her culpability before the inquisitors. Paola first brought up Doniana in her fifth audiencia after her imprisonment in the context of reporting Doniana's repeated insistence on meeting Paola's demonic familiar Montelillos. Even behind, beyond this sinful craving for a demonic experience, in Paola's version, Doniana appeared far less devoted to her husband and the improvement of her marriage. Paula confessed that Doniana's slave, Anita, called La Bagnona, asked her to go to Ana's house along with other witches, including a woman called a mulada from Santo Domingo named Barbola de Albones. Paula said that Doña Ana wanted to see the wanted to see these women in order to figure out how to so-called stupefy Don Francisco her husband, scaring him so that he would become too, quote-unquote, simple to see anything that Doña Ana did. According to Paula, Doña Ana did not seek spells and potions to improve her marriage, but instead to harm her husband and seduce her lover, as well as every other man that she encountered. Paula spun a predictable narrative web linking illicit female sexuality with magic, in an effort to divert the inquisitor's attention away from her own activities and toward Doniana's immorality. Paula claimed that she only asked for various items belonging to the husband, Don Francisco, to dissuade or distract Doniana from harming her husband through magic, though she did not deny helping the Spanish woman pursue her sexual goals. In regards to the so-called binding spells, Paula said that Doniana wanted to bind her lover to her, not her husband, in order to prevent her lover from talking to or having relationships with other women. Paula said her demon companion, Mantelios, gave her a root that would inspire love and desire in, quote, all the men who saw or embraced her, end quote. Dania Ana wore the root tied to her arm with a cotton string. Ana also wanted potions that would make, quote, everyone that entered her house, End quote, love her. So Mantelios 
told Paola about the concoction made of chicken talons and herbs mentioned in the last episode. Paola said that Doniana seemed very satisfied with a small magical pouch made with Mantelillo's guidance that was meant to cause great desire in, quote, every man who saw her. In her defense, Paola purposefully emphasized Doña Ana's urgent sexual desires in order to take the blame off of herself. Over the course of her testimony, Paola's demonic familiar, Montelillos, becomes such a real presence that it is sometimes difficult to believe that Paola was really inventing him. I think maybe Montelillos was modeled on a man that she knew, her ideal man, or maybe just her general experience with men, or maybe he represented what scholars call the container or cipher for the witch's own desires and anger, or maybe other emotions. His most salient characteristic was his dependability as a mentor and a helper. He always advised Paolo on how to cure her patients, or he advised her in her efforts to help satisfy their sexual needs. Beginning with her first audiencia, only a few days after her second imprisonment by the Holy Office, Paola did not waver in presenting Montelillos as a helpful advisor to her. Of course, it was convenient for Paola to blame Montelillos for her transgressions. She stated that he started to tempt her back to evil only three weeks after the tribunal sentenced her for the first time in 1624. At this time, he appeared when she was working in the hospital washing clothes for her penance, her punishment. Montelillos had quite a different temperament from the demons that we'll talk about in a later episode described by other alleged Cartagena witches. Paola said that Montelillos always appeared to her as a galan, or an attractive man, which is more similar to what we hear about um, familiars in Europe. To persuade Paola to give him her soul and once again be, quote, his Following her her reconciliation with the Catholic Church, Montelillos offered Paola wealth and slaves of her own, but he also tried to make her feel guilty for deserting him, complaining that he had been severely punished in hell for losing her friendship. After three visits in the mid-1620s, Paola said that she submitted again to Montelillos entreaties and again renounced the Christian God and religion in a witch's gathering. In Paolo's world, witchcraft and sexuality were inseparably linked. For example, in her testimony, she recounted a story about a friend named Juliana, a samba libre, or a free black woman, who bragged to her about how one night this Juliana had sex with one young man in Tolu, left him asleep in bed, and sought another man for sex at an estancia three leagues or roughly ten miles away. Juliana then returned to the first man as the cocks crowed in the morning and found him till, still sleeping. In response to this story, Paola said, quote, if you did this, you are a witch, end quote. Paola used countless spells to help women attract men and tribu- attributed many of these remedies to Montelios, but she adamantly denied having sex with Montelios when she described her participation in devilish orgies in her second and third trials. The inquisitors specifically asked her to explain the course of events in these gatherings, which were known as juntas in Cartagena, and the inquisitors asked her this question, quote, if after you had supper and put out the candles, 
Did the demon know you carnally and where? End quote. Paola responded, Many times I was stimulated because of the fervor and fire in these juntas in Cartagena, but I never let the demon know me carnally, nor did he request it of me. A few days later, Paola repeated that several women had sex with demons at these juntas, or Sabbaths, but that this had never happened between her and Montelillos. The inquisitors briskly imprisoned the victims of Paola's accusations. Despite the fact that she made confessions that strained credibility and even, you could say, snitched on her comadres, Paola worked hard during her several months of interrogations to maintain her personal sense of integrity. She admitted that she practiced love magic, cured people, and had a demonic familiar, but her self-conception did not allow her to admit that she had sex with her demonic familiar. In the idea of following the European understanding of this kind of entity who worked in Satan's thrall. She may have envisioned Montelios very differently than the Inquisitors understood her references to a personal familiar in that European context. She may have thought of Montelios in a more African context, as a spiritual advisor who helped her learn how to do these healing processes. She admitted that the juntas, or Sabbaths, were sexually charged and erotic, but she and Montelios had moved beyond sex. Instead, he manifested her fantasy of an ideal of slightly intimidating partner and friend. Although it is difficult to understand what Montelillos really meant to Paolo, whether or not he was a conscious invention that she made to please the Inquisitors, or if he was a living being who dominated her mental and spiritual world, she knew how to use her demon to manipulate the Inquisitors. She claimed that Montelillos whispered instructions to her through the window in her cell in the Holy Office Jail. In her third trial, which we began in 1634, she revealed that Montelio scared her into going back to the Sabbaths. She elaborated on her earlier story, saying that one day she entered the garden of the hospital where she worked, thinking that this would put her in a good mood. Montelios appeared to her from a hiding place, and he was poorly dressed, and he assumed the form of a dominguillo or a movable mannequin something like what is used in a bullfight to enrage a bull at this time. He frightened Paolo with the fire that emanated from his entire body and threatened he would kill her if she did not give him her soul. Paola again said that she did not have sex with Montelios, but she had confessed to it earlier in her first trial when she was still in Cuba. She said this act wounded her so-called nether regions. And she didn't want to suffer that pain again. Although in her final tri trial, Paola repeated that she witnessed and took part in the standard feasting and dancing, typical of a witch's gathering according to the European understanding of such things, she qualified her description of the orgiastic element of the proceedings. She said that since it was dark after the candles were put out, she could not see anything, but she presumed that each witch had sex with each individual devil because, quote, it was custom for male and female witches to juntarse unos con otras, for some people to have sex with others. This language confirms Paola's desire to present witches' behaviors according to a European template of demonology without compromising her own choice to show sexual restraint and a special relationship with her particular demonic familiar called Montelillos. She might have drawn this picture from real events. 
actual sexually charged drumming and dancing that happened commonly and was very disturbing to Cartagena's authority figures. Paolo was not the only person familiar with Montelillos. Paolo's clients, Doniana and Juana Samba, among others, knew of this demon. Paolo insisted that Doniana, in particular, obsessively desired to see Montelillos, seeking some kind of evil or illicit sexual contact. But Paolo restricted her demon's appearances jealously, almost as if he actually were her lover. After hearing so much about him, Doña Ana no longer wanted Paola as an intermediary, but she craved to speak to Montelios personally, as long as he did not appear in a frightening form. Paola lied then to Doña Ana, telling her that the demon always revealed himself with a terrifying appearance that would horrify the Spanish woman. When Paola finally tired of Doña Ana's constant begging, she called on Montelios to appear. He fulfilled her request, but this time he looked very strange. He was described as a mestizo with rooster's talons. Doña Ana also testified that the demon Montelios could appear as a goat or a black man and reported that Paola told her that his typical appearance was maybe her ideal lover, a good-looking man de color quebrado, or racially mixed man. The inquisitors were interested to learn that the members of the Catholic Church and other authority figures were heavily implicated in Paolo's affairs. She had a baby with a friar while she was serving her Inquisition penance working in a hospital. Rumor had it that when she was in the Inquisition jail, another lover, this time a Spanish seminary student, visited her and she reassured him by saying, Hijo, don't worry, they can't touch us. The inquisitors made a point of highlighting this clerical infraction with a marginal note in the trial documentation. They wanted to make a special point that a priest was involved with her. But most of Paula's efforts were directed towards one of her lovers called Diego de Avedillo. His last name is also spelled Badillo. He was described only as the nephew of a chandler or candlemaker. Paola denied all accusations of maleficio or black magic in her own love life, always presenting herself as a curandera or healer. But she confessed that after hearing that her lover Badillo was having an affair with her neighbor, she said that she would have murdered the woman with no concern for consequences. In response to Paola's rage, Badillo attacked her with a knife. And the quote in the trial says, le, le dio una cuchillada a esta en la cabeza. Some historians believe that in early modern Spain, quote, the sorceresses themselves did not believe in the efficacy of spells and in the necessity of sorcery, but these things helped them relieve their misery by earning a bit of money, end quote. To the contrary, Paola admitted that she used magic to help her own love life. She confessed to using the traditional incantations on her own lovers, trying to influence Badillo's affections with the famous prayer to the star, very well known in Spain. Paola probably chose to hide her, her true secrets, her more personal and maybe dangerous rituals from the inquisitors. In dozens of pages of testimonies, Paola consistently presented herself, not as a local leader in magical knowledge and practice, but as a student and client of other more expert sorceresses, 
who always free women of color in her circle. She consulted these women to help her after her lover by the Yo's attack mentioned above. Paola's sorceress peers spread knowledge of seemingly harmless techniques, such as using powders from plants to improve the appearance of their hair and eyelashes. They blended their cosmetic routines into magical seduction practices. They exchanged recipes and incantations, almost always related to finding love, keeping men's affections, or harming their rivals. For example, for example, Paola said that she depended on another penitenciada, a woman described as a free mulata, her, whose name was Bernarda Alvarez, for powders brought from Santo Domingo, hoping that would, they would make Badillo reunite with her. Paola also made a wax doll and said another famous prayer to Santa Marta and another prayer called the Conjuration of Souls, so that Badillo would, quote, love her well. This um, incantation called the Conjuration of Souls went like this. Sister souls in purgatory, I need nine of you. Three that died by hanging, three that died by beheading, three that were dragged. All nine of you come together in Diego de Badillo's heart. Gather in the cross in his house and trouble him night and day. Badillo, you will not rest you will not stop on the corner. You will not speak with a friend. Souls, my souls, on the life that you live, on the death that you die, on your judgment day, on the pain that you suffer, on the glory that you await, you will bring Paola to your house. Paola also learned another spell from her friend Bernardo. This spell spoke of devils. It went, such, it went as, like this. I conjure Balthasar, Mateo, and one of the twisted legs. Arise, fear, and close these doors. I conjure all three of you so that you will come together in Diego Badillo's heart and take five ounces of blood from him. Bring me three for Paola de Aguilus, fried, very well fried, burning in the bright flames of love. Don't leave me, don't stop, do not rest until he comes to see and speak with Paola de Aguilus. So when she spoke to the inquisitors, Paola said all these spells by memory. And all of these incantations condemned her ex-lover Badillo to great physical pain if he did not return to her. Paola also said that she often heard other women say another incantation. It went like this. You will not see me. I will not see you. I sent three messengers for you so that they will bring you here now. I sent you Barabbas, I sent you Satan. They will bring you here now, caught by your lung and by your testicles and by your heart and by all the parts of your body. They are slaughterhouse devils. Bring me it now today, oven devils. Bring me it now, plaza devils. Bring it now to my house, fishing devils. Lame devil, since you are the greatest devil, bring it now. Paula said this incantation was intoned while a woman tapped castanets with her fingers. All of these spells were part of a cross-Atlantic, cross-Caribbean traditional love magic, a kind of popular poetry passed along mainly by women, but also by priests and a few other men. Sorceresses in early modern Castile recited virtually the same chant, also mentioning the Diablos del Horno and the Diablos de la Plaza, 
in the Cartanicera, and this happened in Toledo and Cuenca, Spain. The threat, you will not rest, and invoking various parts of a man's body were also common in Spanish spells. So if nothing else, these spells crossed the Atlantic to Colombia and were then influenced by African and Circum-Caribbean women. Paula tried all these three spells, as well as many others, in her efforts to reunite with her lover, Diego de Abillo. Her trial clearly reveals that many other freed women and Spanish women also attempted the same kind of love and erotic magic. Paula's confession suggests that she believed in the efficacy of love magic and did not sell her skills purely for economic gain. Her own belief and participation refutes the idea that women like her practiced magic to resist Spanish power or to invert racial hierarchies. Most of these women were not Spanish. These plebeian women, women dealt in conjurations that would affect themselves, poor non-white women, who were rivals for men's affections. These spells and incantations and the buying and selling of love magic shows that women use sex and sexuality to influence their own fate. Paola thought of herself or presented herself as a healer, not as a local leader in the field of love magic or as a very successful seller of spells. The fact that sometimes she was presented as poisoning or controlling Spanish men is more about the Inquisitor's fantasies and fears and doesn't relate to how women like her made day-to-day -day attempts to influence passion and devotion and to attain the economic security that a stable lover might provide. Paula repeatedly mentioned that she had a large circle of non-white women who tried a variety of methods to influence their lovers. Sometimes they included her and sometimes other women were the experts. These little bits of information provided in Paola's and other women's confessions suggest a vibrant world of love magic practice in Cartagena and that was set in motion by a frantic search for devoted and generous men. These women, <clears throat> oh, sorry, along with Doña Ana, two other women described as muladas testified to call, calling on Paola to help them inspire love in certain men. They confessed to the holy office and the inquisitors did not punish or imprison them, which supports the idea that the inquisitors were not attempting to eliminate women who practice sorcery or love magic from Cartagena, but instead that they were seeking to control a few high-profile leaders. These other women framed their confessions with Paola as an instigator, de-emphasizing their own efforts to use these remedies. One woman was 23 years old, a free woman of African descent named Marta de San Antonio, or Marta de San Anton. She said that Paola saw her crying because Marta's lover, who was a shoemaker, had left her for another woman. Paola told Marta that her shoemaker lover would come back within a few days. After repeated questioning, Paola explained to Marta that she had said the prayer to Santa Marta for her. Marta claimed that she didn't want to know anything more about the prayer, but told inquisitors that her lover did return. She wanted to unburden herself of this guilt. Two months later, Marta admitted that she gave Paola a jar of her lover's urine that they buried under Marta's bed. Paola also gave Marta some powders, instructing her to wash with them and then give the water to her lover, which Marta said she did not do. Another freed woman, 26-year-old Francisca Garcia, 
also confessed before the inquisitors shortly after Paola was um, imprisoned. Francisca said that Paola came to her house and asked Francisco why she was so sad. Francisco told her that her lover of four years, a Spanish official named Antonio, had recently left her. Paola reassured her and asked for pieces of the couple's clothing and six pesos. Paola also taught Francisca a few spells like the ones I mentioned above. One commanded that Antonio would not have peace, would not feel pleasure, would not sleep in a bed, would not fornicate with a woman or speak with a friend until he returns to Francisca's door. Francisca tried the incantations but claimed that Antonio returned to her simply because she sought him out. Paula did not mention these interactions when she was interrogated by the Inquisitions. She did volunteer information about her other attempts to help her peers. Paula said that she gave herbs and powders to a woman called Maria de Herrera, another woman described as a mulada who lived in Getsemani, and the purpose was so that men would love her well. She also gave this woman a bag of herbs to put under her bed so that the man who slept in her bed would always want to be her lover. Paula also hesitated, but eventually helped a woman called Tomasa de Clavijo, another woman described as a mulada. Paula was worried because Tomasa talked a lot. She finally decided to give Tomasa tostón, a plant frequently used in love magic in 17th century Cartagena, in exchange for information about other effective ways to make men love well. Tomasa allegedly taught Paula how so-called inland women rubbed their genitals with pork and then cooked it and fed it to the men that they desired. This was a technique that Paula had, of course, told to Doña Ana. That was in our first episode. And this is another clear example of the exchange of erotic magic techniques between indigenous, Afro-Caribbean, and Spanish women. All of these women were very knowledgeable in love magic. Paula was not. Re, Paula reacted strongly to the accusations made by Martha de San Anton, saying that this woman was just as well versed in conjurations as Paula herself. As I have suggested, Paula's strategy was to accuse other women and then attempt to influence their confessions by communicating with them during their incarceration in the prisons of the Holy Office. Now, we will next, in the next um, episode, we will meet the fly in the ointment for Paolo's maneuvers, who was a freedman described as a mulatto, worked as a surgeon, whose name was Diego Lopez. And he's going to be the topic of our next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to come back as we talk about Paola and Diego in our next episode.